me uh, encourage you something. Dads, if I can share with you, moms, you're, you're free to do this too, but um, dads, because I'm a dad, we get to talk a little more frank sometimes. Now, I, I, listening to Omar share just about a rhythm of his life, uh, I think a lot of times we've lost what it means to be a disciple or what it looks like to be a disciple because we don't know how to get from point A to point B. And uh, just hearing Omar this morning talk about, hey, I'm listening to this song in my car and my four-year-old is asking me to turn it on. I just want to let you know, a rhythm that Omar has created in his life has been embracing God's word in worship while he's driving in the road with his kids. And so I just want to remind you this morning, uh, moms and dads, um, that, that you can invest in your family whatever God has brought you to or shown you up to this point. And so if you have a rhythm going on in your life like that, um, whether it be uh, a, a, a song, a, a routine, or whatever, we would love to hear your story, to know what God is doing and establishing in your family through those rhythms. And so I just want to encourage you this morning in that. That's why I was thinking uh, about that uh, even as Omar was, was speaking. Uh, it is a good day, Amen. Um, for those who will be joining us online, we're glad that you're here. Um, but in, the, in this place, it's especially sweet. Um, I'm, I've just been um, geeked up, as a friend of mine used to say, about what uh, today was like because we are finally walking into the gates, so to speak, of Philippi uh, on Paul's missionary journey. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We'll be in Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 15 today. Um, and what we're going to be talking about is something that you and I need to, to embrace if we're going to follow hard after God. If there's a truth that is established in Scripture that we must pursue just without abandon if we want to live a life that's pleasing and promising to God, a life to the full. Uh, and, and I want to let you know, um, it kind of looks like this. Do you like having people over at your house? We... We love entertaining people. Uh, we, we like having people over. Um, Christy, over the years, has been fantastic. When, when you come over to have things ready or folks come over, um, I forgot something um, that, that is important along our married life that I'm starting to learn some 23 years in is that it doesn't make my wife ecstatic when 30 minutes uh, before I come home, I say, hey, I invited five families over for dinner tonight. Is that all right? She has never said no, but her body language has told me this is not the best approach to loving me. And there's something I've learned 23 years in. Um, Connor had a group over. It's amazing. I was thinking of this this week. Connor had a group over last night from school. Um, and, and we started preparing for this crew before they got there. And even while they were there, we were cleaning the house up and, and doing some things that, that take effort. Do you know having people over to your house takes a little bit of preparation? Have you realized that? I mean, you, listen, you're welcome to my house anytime. You come to the front door unannounced. I'm going to be like, hey, let's visit on the front porch. Because there's no telling what's going on inside. Because when, when you're invited over, and you can say, Pastor, would love to come hang out with you. Please let me know. You, you, when you're invited over, what you know, what you need to know is our goal is preparation, not perfection. Amen? Like our goal is that we are ready for you. Like all the dirty clothes don't have to be washed. They just have to be hidden somewhere. Amen? Uh, uh, we, 
we don't necessarily have to have to have all the food finished but we sure need to be getting close there's going to be dishes that we only take out when you come over i'm telling you there's this red and orange salsa dish it's going to have salsa guac queso or refried beans in it when you come over do you know when we eat out of that when you're not around never never what because there's certain things that before you get to our home we want to have ready for you so that you can experience community joy the love of christ encouragement laughing whatever the theme of the night is when you arrive so that there's nothing in the way of you getting a part of what God has for you. That, that really is our plan. And I, I think that's why 30 minutes sometimes is lenient. I'll be like, Christy, I'm headed home from church and five cars are following me. That, that's why that throws our family rhythm off sometimes. Because our goal is not perfection, but it's, it's preparation so that you know things were done in your coming to get ready for you. I think there's a truth about God that we're going to see today in Acts chapter 16 uh, in the city of Philippi. You see, when, when Paul gets there, when everybody gets into town, what we're going to look at is, is there's a truth. Where God calls you, he has already been. Where God calls you, he has already been. Whether that's a conversation with someone in your circle, whether that is, is pouring into your child in a, in a car ride uh, to school, whether that's into a hostile environment, where God calls you, he has already been. He has called you to follow, not to lead. He has called you to get behind him, not explore in front of him. You are not expendable. You are valuable, and that is seen biblically over and over and over in this truth that where God calls you, he has already been. In fact, that would point to the reality that he's already prepared. Everything is set up just right. Philippines, the book of uh, Philippians is a pretty phenomenal book of the Bible. I'm reading through it with some friends right now, and, and it's encouraging to the nth degree. If you just are having a rough week, I, I would tell you, open it up, jump in, and see the love of God poured out for this church. Listen to a little bit of Paul's heart for it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 and following. It says, I thank God, my God, and every time I remember you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul is writing these words to this church that are, I am always thinking of you. I'm always having a spirit of joy when I think of you. In fact, I'm certain that what God's doing in you, he's gonna keep going, he's gonna do. He doesn't write this way to all of the churches around town. And so you start to think, I wonder if God set up this Philippian church differently. What kind of city was Philippi? Now, I don't know if you know a lot about, about Philippi. It wasn't the most Jesus-friendly city. In fact, it wasn't even the most Jewish-friendly city. Um, it, it's, it's about 18 miles off the coast. It, it's really, for lack of a better word, it's a, a Roman soldier retirement community 
if I could kind of give you the David Adams version of it. Um, just outside of the town of Philippi is where uh, Mark Anthony and, and uh, Octavius fought and took over Rome. And the defeated soldiers, many of them retired in Philippi. Not, not long after that, it's where Cleopatra and Mark Anthony fought Octavian for control of the kingdom. And as you know, Mark Anthony and, and uh, Cleopatra lost. Well, what happened to all the troops? Well, they retired in Philippi. When did all of this happen? Eh, about 30 years before Jesus was born or about 65, 70 years before Paul arrived. Just long enough for the culture to be completely hard, multi-theistic, military mindset type of community. Open-minded to trade and, and all kinds of things, but, but just don't mess with how things were. And do you know, the one way to mess with how things were in Rome was to be closed-minded. To be closed-minded was the ultimate offense, probably the people who were in Philippi. It, it was all right to worship any God you wanted to, just don't pretend that no other God exists because that's offensive. It's, it's okay to lift up the name of an unknown God, but, just, but just, don't, just don't tell me that I'm worshiping figments of my imagination. You see, for the gospel to come into a city like Philippi was a place where you might walk into and say, God, I don't know what you've brought me into, but it does not look set up for success. It does not look like things kind of pulled it in the way. So how in the world could a church like this exist in a city like that where Paul would say with such confidence, what God has started, he will finish? Because there was a reality that was being lived out in Philippi that began with Paul's journey. The God who calls you has already gone before you. And so we, we see this picture of what God has done. And we start to think of where we are in our own life. Have you ever been uncertain if God has really prepared things ahead of you? Have you ever, have you ever second-guessed Yourself, We don't second-guess God out loud, but we're second-guessing God sometimes. We're, where we believe His Spirit has led us and He hasn't said no. But when we get into town, when we get into parenting, when we get into this job, when we get into this school, when we walk into this church, it seems like it's not in order. It seems like on the surface it is not prepared and all of a sudden we start to have a bunch of these what ifs. Have you ever had a bunch of what ifs in your life? Oh, what if I did the wrong thing? What if I didn't pray to God enough? Hey, you, just so you know, this is, this is the easiest thing. If, if you haven't prayed to God over a decision, you haven't prayed to God enough. Amen? But if you're bathing and in prayer and in community with him and you're following after him, these what ifs, they start to answer questions that are already answered. The enemy loves the realm of the what ifs. In fact, a, a what if, a stirring of uncertainty, a taking your eye as believers off the eye of the Father, off of the focus of the Father into a creation-centered realm of possibilities and instabilities is a way to turn a concern into a riot and get you elected. 
Are you following me? Because that's what we do. Because certainty in almighty God doesn't create a riot. It leads you to what is right. But instability, uncertainty, lack of, lack of preparation, what it seems on the field, these what ifs. Well, that's how I stir your concern into a riot. You're not sure what it's about, but it could be about a lot of things. Church, you and I need to know this is not an, a, a new mark of sin. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, what does Satan do? He tempts Jesus and he says, come on. If, if God can be trusted, then you can do this. We saw it in Genesis. The serpent to Eve. Did God really say? Come on. See, because if we can sow uncertainty and make it look like it aligns with the Lord, make it look like it runs in alignment with him, then we deceive even those who belong to the Lord. Church, we see this in Judas's heart, a disciple who followed Jesus Christ. But in the end... What if Jesus needed his help? Or what if he wasn't the right guy? Or what if certainty blown away in what God has done and a creation-centered instability births wild sin? This is such an important truth that you and I have to embrace today. That the God who calls us we can be certain of has gone before us regardless of what the terrain what the city looks like and all we're going to look out today is the evidence of that truth that's that's all we're going to look at is just the evidence and one story of that truth the point is the purpose is so that you and i might look for the evidence of that truth in the reason that we're here this morning in the reason the things that we leave this this place today when you go to work tomorrow if God has called you, then you can be certain he has gone before you, even if the veil, this thin veil of the world is distracting you from what's really underneath the surface. Acts chapter 16, verse 11, read it with me this morning. The Bible says it this way. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. Now, I don't know if you've thought about that, but, but I read through this, and this is like a transitional, like get me from point A to point B so you can show me what God does at point B. But, but if we don't fast forward through it, we can see the confidence that God has already prepared the way. You see, on, on, the, on the foot of this story, or in the, the prefaces to it, is God telling Paul, no, don't go there. No, don't call to be people. In fact, Paul's probably questioning his ability to follow God in some ways. But he's got a vision. God has said, I'm calling you. And so now, after this call is extended, we're looking for the invitation of the preparation, the absolute evidence of that. 
And the first thing we see is that when you and I look for what is happening, we see that creation is declaring the glory of the God who has already been there. And you might think, how in the world does a boat ride from Troas to Samothrace to Neapolis, how does that mean anything? Well, to us, it probably means a little bit less than what it meant to them. You see, it's about a 140-mile boat ride from Troas all the way to Neapolis. And Neapolis is this port for Philippi. In the middle, halfway, almost dead center halfway through, is this volcanic-looking island, like mountains coming out of the ocean that you've seen in every, you know, m crazy movie out there that kind of elevates, whether it be deity or being lost. So 70 miles to the, to the island and 70 miles in. Now, here's what I want you to know. The Bible says they set sail from Troas, and they made it in the first day to Samothrace. And then it says they set sail the following day and came to Neapolis. That means they covered 70 miles each day. Now, you might think, well, we, we could probably figure that out. My car goes X, Y, or Z, or we could do this. I want you to know, the average Roman boat traveled at four to five knots an hour. The fastest Roman boats traveled at six knots per hour. Six knots per hour is about seven miles an hour. The fastest in the fleet. But average and good weather was like four to five knots, which is really maybe four and a half to almost six miles an hour. For this boat that Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas are on to make it on day one, 70 miles all the way to this island would have had to been the most incredible sailing weather these men had ever experienced in their life. The sun would have been out. The wind would have been blowing in the right direction. To make it that far in day one would have been incredible. To turn what really should have been an 18 to 20 hour boat ride into a 10 to 12 hour boat ride was amazing. But then on day two, to follow it again with that quick of a ride this would have been like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of sailing weather for these guys. In fact, the Bible will tell us later on that the same trip back took five days. And you're saying, so, so what do you mean, Pastor? Does, what, does, what does sailing have to do with this? Well, listen, I want you to know, once God says go, he starts preparing the way. And he knew what was waiting for Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas in Philippi. And he knew they needed to get there a few days before the Sabbath to understand where this city really was. That they didn't need to be coming in at the last minute. He didn't want them tired. He wanted them alert. He didn't want any excuses. For God to have allowed creation to testify to his plan is something that wows us, but it is not new for God. How often in Scripture does creation testify that God has already been there. Listen to Psalm 114. This is powerful. The, the Bible says it this way. 
When, I, when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary. Israel his dimension. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Do, do you hear that? The psalmist is saying when Israel was rescued from Egypt, like this funny thing happened. The waters parted, almost like someone had gone before them and made sure the path was okay and creation would only testify God has been here. He goes on, he, he kind of says, man, the, the sea fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like lambs, uh, like rams and the hills like lambs. And then he asks this question, what could have caused this? Why would you act this way? It, it's this rhetorical, you get it, don't you? Creation has to testify of the one who has created it. Creation has to proclaim the presence of God because creation, as God's servant, has that purpose to give glory to God and when he has been there to proclaim it profusely church in following the Lord have you ever been too much up here here's what I would liken it to because we can all kind of jump on this boat a little bit um, anyone ever seen teenager young adult older adult walking around outside on a beautiful day with their phone right here Anyone ever seen that happen? Anyone unintentionally, like you just had one bad day in your life, ever been that person? Have you ever been outside looking at a screen and picked your head up only to realize what a beautiful day it was? See, I think there are times that you and I, because of our uncertainty, our lack of embracing the truth of God, because we want to discover what he has for us instead of following where he's leading us. We find ourselves in our head worrying about what might be, what if, what could be. We, we, start, we start looking at God, and I think this is what you've called me to do, but I'm not sure how it's going to work, and I'm not really praying, but I'm really just doubting in my head over and over and over. And all the way from point A to point B, you have missed creation testifying God has already been here. Church, if you are one who walks with their head down, following the Lord I want to encourage you pick your head up and look back at how he got you there and let that be a reason for praise and for change in your life because where God is calling you to go he has already prepared the way can you imagine the certainty that that would have got this vigor? Paul and them. They, they've had a two-day trip that should have been fine. They got there early. I can imagine they're kind of hyped up a little bit. They've had the vision. The no's are our way. Verse 13, the Bible says this. 
It says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer and sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Church, my question is, are you willing to look for what's missing? Are you willing to look for what's missing? What did Paul love to do? He was called to preach the news to the Gentiles. He loved going to the synagogue first and then out to the Gentiles. God has brought him to a Roman city, and guess what? There is no synagogue. I heard one, I wrote, I listened to one commentator, I read his, his commentary this week, and he referred to the gathering at the river as the synagogue by the river. Hey, do not use religious language to explain the miraculous pre preparation of God. I think sometimes we find ourselves wanting to sew up every end, wanting to, to, to put God in a, in a box that we can comprehend and, and get a hold of. I, I think there are times, church, that we are trying to turn ordinary men into intellectuals when God turned ordinary men into world changers. You see, we should not pretend that there was a synagogue by the river. To have a synagogue, you had to have 10 Jewish men in the city. You couldn't have nine and 3,000 Jewish God-following women. You couldn't have eight, four boys that were underage and 3,000 children. It took 10 men to establish a synagogue. Who made that rule? Well, someone said, we got to figure out how to, what's the rule? And so in this Jewish culture, this, you got to have 10. Listen, God has called Paul to a place where he obviously wanted him. He obviously made a way, and when they get there, there aren't even 10 God-fearing Jews in town who are men. What's missing? Well, there weren't 10 men. Listen to what Paul says here. Let's be very careful not to, to make something is that it isn't. It said, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. You see, Paul wasn't sure. He had, a, he had a hunch, he had a guess, but he wasn't sure. Could you imagine what all these what-ifs that are going through his heart right now? If he doesn't embrace the truth, that the God who calls us goes before us. If he doesn't embrace that, these what-ifs are, God, I know you called me. I know you got me here quickly, but there's no synagogue, and I'm going to go to the river, and I hope that there's someone there that you can open the door to proclaim the good news. But what if I was wrong? What if I was supposed to stop in Neapolis? What if on the island of Samothrace, God wanted us to have a rest period? What if I've led these guys wrong? Remember, what if turns concerns into riots because it takes our eye off the truth of who God is and centered it, centered it on creation and our inability to create stability? So Paul, instead of being captivated by his what if, he makes his way down to the river. And what does he find? He finds women in prayer. 
we, we don't get, we, we don't want to overread. We just know that this was a place where women prayed on the Sabbath. You see, God isn't creating something new. He's opening a door that has been forgotten. You see, since the beginning, as all this is done, the Lord has been telling people, my image bearers belong in my net. With the Jesus, the parable, remember, he cast the net out. All kinds of fish. What the world had ascribed lesser value to. God said, don't listen to the instability of creation-centered thinking. Follow me and let me show you the ones who bear my image should be caught in my net. We see this in Adam and Eve. We see this in Scripture when Moses starts uh, 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 provisioning or offering up the promised land. Three daughters, no brothers, father's dead. Where's our portion? And Moses said, I'll break tradition and show you it's all right. And he provides. We look at Ruth, we look at Rahab, we look at Mary. We look at the women finding Jesus, his, the tomb empty. God is making a clear statement. What the world says is not valuable. Throw that garbage thinking away. Because women have a place in the kingdom. And it's not because they're husband. It's not because they're children. It's because the God of all creation has been proclaiming that truth since the beginning of time. You see, church, it's not man or woman creating a way in. It's a God who has gone before them. Was, was Paul's heart broken when there weren't 10 men in the area? Maybe. But, but what he discovered was God's calling in these women by, by the river in prayer. And, and let me let you know, in this big picture of it, this was not a reinterpretation of Scripture. God was not throwing out something old and bringing in something new. He's not saying that was once sin, but now it's no longer sin. God is not contradicting himself here. What he is saying is what he has said from the beginning. Those who bear my image. I'm calling you to salvation and life and hope in me. And God made it clear because he went before Paul. You see, this aside that we live in in our world right now is, is this. God is saying, you, you're not the same, guys and girls, but you are equal. And you're not equal because of who you are or what you do or what city you live in you have value because I proclaimed it before a man or woman ever breathed the breath church this morning are you aware that where God calls you even if it looks unfamiliar he has gone before you Paul gets to the river and the Bible says this verse 14 the one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized, in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We know that word prevailed, don't we? She hung on. This wasn't a momentary decision. This wasn't just a feeling she had because she walked up to the front of the altar one day that, that she prevailed. Why? Because God hadn't just gone before Paul. Who else had he gone before? Lydia. The right person, Lydia, seller of purple goods, no one in particularly important, probably ran her own business. At the right place she was not at home but for some reason God had opened the door to this Philippian place this city of Philippi it, it didn't match her but somewhere in her story she started rejecting this multi-theistic imagination and she became a woman who believed that there was one God worthy of her worship, worthy of her life, and worthy of following. The right person, the right place, she was rightly ready. And real change. She didn't just say, Paul, thanks for coming to preach at church today. That was a great sermon, brother. I'd love to take you out to lunch for a moment. I hope we meet again this side of eternity. Woo, Facebook friends, this is a neat guy. You need to invite him to your church, take up a nice love offering. It wasn't lip service. You see, because God had led Paul and God had led her, this moment became an epicenter. And this woman, she was changed by the power of Jesus Christ. How did it occur? Because God was there first. Church, this is a central truth that needs to be played out in our life. Why? Because it's the invitation that starts it all. John chapter 14. Jesus says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, listen to me. I'm going to do what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. The, the place I'm calling you to. And I am the way there. And I am the truth of how to, how to embrace that. And I am the life that will endure. Church, this morning, it's pivotal. Will you embrace this call? God who calls you has gone before you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we ask this morning that you be glorified, that you find us where you've led us. Lord, this, this world is filled with the instability of creation-centered people. And some wear robes like sheep, to entice us to join the riot of instability. But Father, you have given us something more. 
you have shown us from the beginning until eternity that the God who calls us will have prepared the place before we arrive. So Lord, if that's a conversation this week that we're anxious about, if your spirit calls us, let us have confidence in you that you have prepared the heart for us. Lord Jesus, if that is teaching to our family, if that's for the first time in their life, inviting our spouse to join us at our knees in prayer before God. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, let your spirit speak and let us embrace this with all that we are. Lord Jesus, if there's a man or woman, boy or girl in this room or watching this feed. Father God, if, if they do not know, if they don't know what stability is, Lord, it begins with this truth that we have a father who created this world, who sent his son to rescue it through believing in him for life as truth. And that by denying ourselves. And embracing him as Lord and Savior, the place that he is preparing for us, he will come back and he will bring his called to their right home. In Jesus' name, amen.